Love you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. I'm asking you help. Bring clarity to our hearts. Comfort to our souls. Lord, I pray that you'd bring courage to the intercessors. Lord, you would allow us to have a paradigm exchange where we would lose the paradigm of of this world system and of the natural realm and we would gain the paradigm that you have and of the kingdom. Help, Lord, would you speak tonight with wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of your son. Lord, draw us into prayer. God, I pray you draw us into prayer. Lord, grant us the gift of mourning. Grant it to us, the blessedness of this gift of mourning, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Okay, we're in our fourth uh, session uh, uh, on a series entitled The Satisfaction of the Soul. And what we're talking about uh, primarily is how our soul longs and aches. And the only way for our soul to be satisfied, it's not through natural temporal means, but it's through partnering with God. And what will happen is when we, when we desire uh, God to fulfill the longings of our soul, what happens is you'll find yourself disquieted in heart. You'll find, your, find yourself discomforted in soul. And many times that takes you into this place of mourning where you're longing and you're aching just like Michelle was there a moment ago when you're and weeping perhaps for God. And so we've been talking about this concept of spiritual mourning and using Matthew 5 verse 4 it says, Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. It's a value of the kingdom of God. And so we've been talking about it for the last several weeks. And I have talked to several people over the last few weeks and um, come to find out that, you know, it's interesting because the Lord will, you know, we believe that, we're, you know, we're doing our best. Let's just say it that way. We're doing our best and we get up to preach and we're trying to hear the word of the Lord. Like, what's the Lord saying? And then we try to release what we feel like the Lord is saying. And, and so often what will happen is when we, when we proclaim that thing we feel like the Lord is, is giving to us to proclaim, it will begin to ignite in many people's hearts. And I've had many people come to me and say, man, this, this whole morning thing, it's like messing me up. Like I'm, I'm crying a lot and I don't feel so good now. And, and my heart is kind of restless and, and you know, it's just, it's strange. And, and, and I just want to say, that's what I was trying to tell you three weeks ago. <laughs> that yeah, your heart feels a little funny when you begin to get disquieted because you're longing. And, um, and that's part of the thing. And, and so several, several have come to me and said, man, I'm touching this thing and I can't get satisfied in anything. Even more prayer is making it more disquieted in heart, giving me more discomfort. And I'm telling you, God is ruining you for any quick fix. He's ruining you for, you know, some little, you know, I'm just going to blow off and go watch a movie. I'm just going to blow off and go eat a bunch of food. And I'm going to go recreate and anesthetize my heart. He's ruining you for that because that's not going to satisfy your soul. And he wants to take you through this pathway of intimacy. And in intimacy, I promise you, if you go into intimacy with the man Christ Jesus, you will get to meet the man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief. I promise you. And when you meet him, I guarantee you it will impact your emotions. You know, I um, have thought that I believed that God was an emotional God and until my emotions began to get impacted by God in ways that were uh, not customary for me. I'm generally a pretty happy guy. I like to smile a lot. I, I, you know, I'm generally pr- pretty upbeat. And uh, for me, I would say probably since... 
or somewhere around July, August last year, I started touching some things in prayer that were messing with my mind. You know, I was not accustomed to weeping at the level that I've, I have been touching weeping and, and not accustomed to feeling uh, discomfort within my heart. I just want peace. I just want it smooth. You know, I don't think anybody signs up and says, I want to get in the line that, you know, I just feel like a, just a wrestling in my soul all the time and I'm just, just trying to like labor all the time and working through stuff and just don't quite feel like I got it. Nobody signs up for that, but I guarantee you when God calls you in intercession, when he releases a little grace of intercession upon you, you will find yourself in a wrestle a lot and it won't always feel great. And I'm, and I'm talking to a few of our staff and stuff, and they're going, I don't feel so good. I go, it's good for you. It's a good thing. No, no, you don't get it. I don't feel good. I go, I know. That's good. Feeling bad is good? Yes. And the goal isn't to be the most depressed. I remember a, a preacher told a story about, he was preaching in this church, and they're on the front row. There was a, 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 a row of women. They were all staring at him with mean looks and frowns on their faces and furrowed brows and looked really disgruntled. And the pastor said, so who's that? What's up with the ladies on the front row? And he goes, oh, they're the intercessors. <laughs> he said, he thought, and the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. He goes, I'm in trouble <laughs> if they're the ones that are praying for me. The, the goal isn't to be the most depressed. The goal is to fall in love with Jesus. And when we fall in love with him, we get to meet him for who he really is. And so many of our frameworks get destroyed. Some of our mentalities of what he's like. They just get trifled with. It, he likes us to know him for who he is. And he is the man who's the most joyful man that ever lived on the planet. And I don't know that we really know what true joy is. We like happiness and fun. But joy is a different thing. And uh, I'm convinced you can live a lifetime in mourning and in joy. For the man Christ Jesus lives that way. He lives as the man of sorrows and as the most joyful man that's ever lived. Simultaneously, he lives in both realities without contradiction. How? He's God. So Romans 8, I just want to move through this. And I want to, I want to, I'm going to lay a little bit of a, a theological framework for what Jesus the intercessor looks like. And I would encourage you to, to study this. I'm giving you four bu- bullet points. I, I mean, there's, the, the Bible is full of uh, explanation of this, of this thought. But uh, Romans 8, verse 22. Well, I'm just going to set a little pattern here for you, and I'm going to give you a, just a theological thought or two. Romans 8, 22, it says, For we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The creation is groaning. We live in a world that is groaning. Some of the things that happen in, in the earth and, and the, I think even sometimes the, the seismic activity and the, the storm systems and 
Somebody said, well, did God do that? Well, I go, the creation's groaning. And I do believe that our God is a God that releases judgment and mercy simultaneously. But I do believe that our crea- the creation groans. It's awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. The creation's wanting to be born. The, the creation is waiting for the, the man Christ Jesus to come, to live upon the planet, and for uh, the, the whole planet to come under the rule of the man Christ Jesus in glory. That's what the creation is waiting for. It's waiting to be born. It's groaning in labor for a birthing, a birthing of the kingdom. The, the earth is, is groaning for the kingdom. Isn't that interesting? All of creation, it labors and groans in intercession. Isn't that strange? The earth is interceding. Come, Lord Jesus. So look at verse 23. It says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So the creation's groaning, but we groan. I remember years ago when I, when I first started experiencing groans and, uh, and travail in intercession. And I would pray in tongues, and I, I mean, I didn't know what was going on. I would pray in tongues until the tongues got really, really, really fast, and then they quit. I couldn't do tongues anymore. It's kind of like when you run too fast down a hill and you just sort of fall. I was like, Shandra! going into these groans and I thought I am losing my mind what's wrong with me and I remember being in prayer meetings 10 years ago and the groanings and the travails would come so strong I would be gripped bent over and I can remember being in that shape for hours and sweating profusely and not having the foggiest idea of what I was praying for. And getting up from that place thinking, I have, I mean, I've lost my mind. I just groaned uncontrollably for an hour and a half. I'm sweating. They don't do this on Sunday morning. And this is bad. I'm, I'm a religious fanatic. And I remember several times getting up from that place and going and looking in the mirror and looking, and looking across my forehead and my face and my eyes, and there's blood vessels that had burst all over my face. I looked like I, had, like I had measles or something. And I remember thinking, I'm really losing it. And then the Lord would give me some insight sometimes. And I would groan and travail for hours. And, <clears throat> and I remember, you know, just the Lord just comforting me in that, saying, it's okay. You don't have to know. I know. And I know what you mean when you groan. And you're groaning by the Spirit, the perfect prayer. And if you're willing, I'm willing. And so I was like, I'm willing. He goes, and I'm willing. And I'm like, okay, so groan. Nothing you can drum up or make happen. And just, you step into that place. We groan in intercession. It's, it's biblical and it's clear. And then in verse 26, it says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know uh, what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So the Holy Spirit groans. Isn't that interesting? The Spirit of God groans. What a strange idea. God, the Holy Spirit's just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. 
God groans in intercessions? Well, of course, that's why we groan. It only makes sense. And you just kind of, you know, I just kind of do this thing where I go, well, God's tidy, and he's to the point, and he's direct, and he's smart enough not to groan. He can just say what he means, and means what he says, and just get it done. No, he groans. Why does he set it up like that? I'm not totally sure, but he does. And so the spirit groans. So we have creation groaning. We groan. The spirit groans. Verse 27. And he searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Who's that talking about? Jesus. So I have a question for you. How does Jesus pray? The earth groans, we groan, the spirit groans. How does Jesus pray? Flip over to Hebrews chapter 5. I want to give peace to some of you who are experiencing, experiencing mourning. I want to give courage to you to lean into it. It's not an option for us, beloved. It's not optional. We are called to a perpetual solemn assembly after Joel chapter 2. With fasting, weeping, and mourning. That's who we are as a community. We are in a season of a perpetual solemn assembly. There is massive judgment coming. There is massive revival coming. And there's the birthing of the kingdom of God. We will live in a state of perpetual solemn assembly through all of those realities. I believe Christianity is going to stadiums all over the earth, that the revival that's going to break forth is going to fill stadiums, 70 and 80,000 throughout cities of the earth. Signs, wonders, and miracles are going to break out like has never been seen before on the face of the planet. I believe that is a day just in front of us. I believe simultaneous with those realities, judgment events are going to be breaking forth upon the planet. Birth pangs, seals, trumpets, and bowls. Those realities, beloved, are stuff we've never seen before. And the last three and a half years of this age is going to culminate in a time that the Bible says is going to be more severe than any other time in human history. And unless those days were shortened, no one would make it through. But for the sake of the elect, those that will be born again, for the sake of the elect, God sets the time frame at three and a half years. Only three and a half years. That time a demonized man will rule the planet. Antichrist. That's a, that's a reality. Why, so why do we pray? Because we're living in a solemn assembly knowing these days are just in front of us. I don't have to try to map together the headlines to make that happen. I have the headlines. They're in the Bible. And so we're sounding an alarm. We're sounding the trumpet. We're gathering the people. We're weeping between the porch and the altar. We're gathering the priests, gathering the people, gathering the elders. We're living in a perpetual solemn assembly. And I tell you, the, the solemn assemblies that we live in in this prayer environment and, and many of the other ones, they will go to the stadiums. And the whole body of Christ will be called to solemn assemblies in the stadium. And we get the honor, as part of people that are a part of this kind of a community, we get the honor of keeping charge of this little sanctuary, living in a perpetual solemn assembly until God takes it to the stadiums. 
And what will, we, we, what will we do when it goes to the stadiums? We'll keep charge of the sanctuary. And when, what happens when the stadium events end? We'll keep charge of the sanctuary. That's what we do. It's an honor. We get to live out our lives in this age, ministering to the Lord as our chief purpose. So it's not an option for us, fasting and weeping and mourning. It's just something we're not used to. We're just not used to the concept of living all our days in mourning. But it's not optional. It's our calling. So what we've got to do is we've got to get to the place where we go, fasting? Okay, yeah, I can do that. Weeping and mourning? I can do that. And we, we got to get out of our mind that the weeping and mourning is just for the people that are just getting messed up that one time. Here's what we do. We go into mourning, we go into travail, we go into, you know, weeping, and, and when we come out of it, we just want to go back to normal. Let me, get, let me just get back to normal. No, no, that was normal. That fasting, weeping, weeping and mourning piece, that was the normal piece. So what we want to do is we want to get our mind off it. Go give me a television show. Go, go give me a movie. Let me eat a big fat, you know, piece of cake. Let me just get my mind off of this. No, no, you, we need to live in a Joel 2 reality. That's what we're doing. The earth is going to be changed. God is going to change the expression and the understanding of Christianity in a generation. I believe he's in process. And he's going to do it through judgment events and power encounters. He's going to break out with the word of the Lord and the message of intimacy is going to go like a fire across this planet. And I tell you, believers at the end of the age will know that Jesus is a jealous bridegroom burning with passion and love for his bride. They will know that and their hearts will mourn and long and ache for him and they will erupt with a cry and that cry will say, come Jesus, come. That's where this is going, beloved. I promise you, it's not going to a bigger program. I promise you. It's going to a fasting, weeping, mourning people, longing in love sickness for the bridegroom Jesus, giving themselves in abandonment to him with a cry in their heart, come. For the Lord does nothing in the earth in a vacuum. He doesn't just, you know, just spontaneously decide to move and he moves. He moves at the response. He moves in response to the cry of his people. That's what he's going to do at the end of the age. He's going to put an intercessory cry in a people that are energized and, and longing in love. And that's what we're doing. We're giving ourselves to this. So this is not optional for us. This is simply our lifestyle. If we can just get our mind around the fact that it's okay, it's so much easier. We'll step right into the grace of this reality. Half of the challenge is battling your mind, believing that morning is an okay way to live. It's half the challenge. I'll say it again. Half of the challenge is getting your mind around the fact that mourning is an okay way to live. It's half the challenge. Once you get around that, I tell you, there's grace released. There's grace released before you get around it, but when you get your mind around it, it's like, it lightens. So Hebrews 5, it says this in verse 7. Speaking of Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he'd offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his godly fear. With vehement cries and tears. We've got a groaning creation. We've got a groaning uh, body of believers. We have a groaning Holy Spirit. We have Jesus who's made an intercessor forever, who as an intercessor on the earth, he cried with vehement cries and tears, and was heard because of his reverence. 
That's our Jesus. I want to propose to you this. That Jesus is not sitting at the right hand of God, emotionless in intercession. He was emotional in intercession as a man on the earth. Now he is in the most emotionally charged environment there is. It's called the throne room of God. Sound, light, smell, color, beauty, power, glory. It's all released at the highest level. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of power. I doubt he is emotionless in intercession. He's a man not operating in omniscience while in his earthly ministry. And he's gripped over the state of Israel. He's gripped over, over all the needs of the people that he sees. And with vehement cries and tears, he's praying as a man, and he's, and he's not omniscient. Now he's standing at the right hand of power, fully omniscient, fully aware of every need, every challenge, every rape victim, every murder victim, every person dying with cancer, every person dying with AIDS, every young man, young woman addicted to drugs. He's aware of all the needs. Every cry of every prisoner is in his ears. I guarantee you he's not standing there emotionless. Over six billion people in the earth and he knows intricately all the needs, all the movements, all the sensations of all of their souls. He knows every issue with every person. I promise you, he's not standing up there going, huh, help God. Really help. He is in a, a dramatically emotionally charged environment. It's, it's, it's the most amplified environment there is. And I want to propose to you that he is there in that place crying with the same vehement cries but at a whole nother level, beloved, that he was using as an intercessor on the earth. And see, the difference between he and I is this, as an intercessor. When I cry, I'm at the end of my rope. When I cry, I'm burdened to grief. When I cry, I cry because I'm helpless and hopeless. But when he cries, captives are set free. When he cries, deliverance comes. When he cries, nations are birthed in a day. When he cries, angelic authorities come and lay siege to demonic principalities. The man Christ Jesus, when he cries, murder is stopped in regions. When he cries, drug cartels are dismantled. When he cries, AIDS gets blown out of places. When he cries, abortion gets overturned. When he cries, all sorts, all manner of heaven breaks loose. When I cry, it's because I'm hopeless. When he cries, it's because deliverance is being released. And I want to propose to you that this man, Jesus, he is the one who rejoices over us with singing at the right hand of the Father. He is dancing and spinning in joy and delight over his people, ravished in love. And I want to propose that at the very right hand of God right now, there's intercessory cries coming from his mouth of a kind you and I have never witnessed. He interceded so strongly in the garden that he sweated drops of blood. What do you think the man Christ Jesus at the right hand of God looks like right now? Fully engaged in the emotions of heaven with every need under humankind laid bare to his ears. 
You know, in a moment, he could stop it all. He could stop it all. He could send one strike of heaven's power. It could envelop the earth. He could stop it all. Instead, he allows the the cries of injustice to enter his ears, and he weeps. He could shut it all down in a second. Instead, he allows the cries of the prisoners to ascend. And he's moved. He, he could stop all the pain. Instead, he lets it come and he feels what they feel. He bears the, 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 the sensation of those that he's praying for. As an intercessor, just like he did on the earth. He bore the sinners. Isaiah 53 says he, he bore their sins and he makes intercession for them. It's Jesus. He could stop it in a second. Instead, he lets it go and he weeps. He, he could stop the pain in a second. Instead, he feels the pain and he wails. This is the one who ever lives to make intercession. And see, you and I, we get touched with the sensation of mourning and we think we're, something's going wrong with us. And our emotions feel funny and they're disgruntled and they're dismayed and, and we want joy. And I tell you, he is fellowshipping with you. He's fellowshipping with you. And you found such a precious gift that you could enter into the place, think about that, you could enter into the place where Jesus is sharing his emotions with you. You're feeling his emotions. Oh, that's, that's far better than good. Oh, that's unbelievable. That you could enter into intimacy with Jesus and you're feeling his emotions. So he goes, well, I was just crying and I just don't, I mean, I don't even know why I'm crying. I'll tell you why you're crying. Because the man Christ Jesus is crying. Yeah, but I don't know what it's about. Here's why you don't know what it's about. 100,000 young girls sold into sex slavery all across our world. They're mercilessly raped continually. Whole markets, cities are built on sex slavery. Jesus knows every name of every little girl. He knows every injustice that's been enacted against each one of them. He knows his destiny for all of them. He knows all the giftings within all their hearts. He knows all their little dreams. He knows their prayers that they pray at night when they go to bed. Every name of every one of them. He knows it all. And he's wailing over it. Beloved, if you knew every name, if you knew every injustice, it would crush you. So he gives you tears. He gives you the feeling of their infirmity as an intercessor. He allows you to enter into tears and travail and mourning, weeping and wailing over the sin and the abominations of our land. And what's he doing? He's taking one little miniature percent of what he feels and he's dropping it upon you for a moment in intimacy. If you knew all the stories, it would destroy you. you. You would be inconsolable. You couldn't bear it. 
Beloved, that's only one small percentage of all the injustice that goes on in the earth every single day. He knows every murder. He knows every thievery. He knows every lie. He knows every injustice in every single measure. He, he knows everything that's ever done. And he's making intercession for the sinners. He's bearing their sins, the Bible says. Isaiah 53. He knows every name. And he's standing in that place of intercession and, and cries and tears at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for them. And he's looking, he's looking for friends. Let's, uh, let's look at John 15. You know, Isaiah 53, just jot it down. It says he poured out his soul unto death. And it says this, though. You know, I was thinking, pour out his soul. You know, Psalm 42. David says, I'm longing. My soul is longing, thirsting. He goes, I've poured out my soul. Jesus poured out his soul. But Jesus says this, or about, the, Isaiah says this about Jesus, that he shall see the labor of his soul, and he shall be satisfied. The same is true for you. I promise you, I promise you. Listen to me, intercessor that's touching a little bit of mourning. Listen to me. You will see the labor of your soul. You will be satisfied. John 15. Thank you, Lord. Verse 14. Verse 13. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's the essence of intercession. Laying down your life for another. Taking your time, taking your energy, taking yourself, and laying yourself down crying out for someone else. Greater love has no one than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. He goes, verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing but I've called you friends. For all things I heard from my father I've made known to you. This is, a, this is just a powerful thought about entering into mourning with Jesus he goes you're my friends if you do whatever I command you right there just in your Bible notes just write you're my friends if you're abandoned to me if your heart is open and abandoned to me see we look at that and we go you're my friends if you do what I command you we go see I knew it he just wanted me to keep a bunch of rules it's not the point at all he just wants people who are abandoned in love he goes, you're my friends if you're abandoned to me. He goes, no longer do I call you servants. He goes, and here's how you know the difference. A servant is never told by their master the motive of the master's heart. He goes, but I call you friends because 
All the things the Father's told me, I'm telling you. Now, he's not talking about everything, because in John 16, he's going to say, there's many things I want to tell you that you, I can't tell you yet. So he's not talking about the mystery of, like, how do the planets hang up there in the sky? But what he is saying is, he's telling us the motive of the Father. And that's what he's revealing. He's revealing the Father. He goes, and all that the Father's revealed to me, I'm revealing to you. I'm revealing to you the motivations of the heart of the Father. I reveal that very thing to you. He goes, that's how you know I'm your friend. Because you're not a slave to me. I'm looking at people. He goes, I'm looking for people I can share my heart with. I'm looking for friends. When Jesus takes a piece of the travail in the morning that he experiences at the right hand of the Father, and he gives it to you, and you're weeping and you don't know why, or your heart's disgruntled and you don't know why, you know what he's saying to you? Hey, friend, draw a little nearer. Hey, friend, come a little closer. I want you to know the way the Father feels about His creation. When you're weeping and you're aching and you don't know exactly why, He's calling you friend. He's looking for friends, beloved. Jesus Christ, the man who's loved the most richly of any man who's ever lived, He's given more love than any other person. Jesus, the one who's loved, he's loved the most. He's given more love than anyone. Would you agree? Jesus Christ, the most unloved man who's ever lived. The most despised, rejected, and hated. See, we want intimacy. But what we really want is to feel good. See, do we want to know God? Or do you just want to feel good? Our desire for quick fix Christianity, I just feel good. Just come lay hands on me, brother. I just want to feel good. Our desire for that will inhibit our ability to know the man Christ Jesus for all that he is. He goes, hey friend, draw a little nearer. Let me tell you how the Father feels about the injustices in the earth. Hey friend, let me tell you how the Father feels about the orphans in your city. Hey friend, let me tell you how the Father feels about the children that are strung out on drugs in your county. Hey friend. Because you're my friends. If your heart's abandoned to me, you want to know what I feel. He goes, oh, if your heart's abandoned to me, he goes, you're my friends. I tell you, what an honor to stand in a place of prayer, feel the very emotions of God moving through you. God sharing his emotions with you. What an honor. What a privilege. Is there, some, is there anything more beautiful? 
been mourning with those who mourn and the one you're mourning with is Jesus himself. What's more beautiful than that? You know how you feel when your friend's been hurt. And you go get with your friend and you go, hey, let's just pray. Let's just, I don't even know what to pray. Let's just hug and cry. Right? And you weep because your friend's hurting. What's more beautiful than saddling up next to Jesus? He goes, hey, friend, let me share my heart with you. And you begin to weep. Is there anything more precious than that in the earth? Is there a better prize? Is there, is there a better prize than that? Do I want a million dollars? Do I want the man Christ Jesus' emotions shared with me as a friend? I want his emotions. I want, I want his thoughts. I want his heart. It's who we are, beloved. It's our glory in this life. We get the privilege of mourning with Christ. Oh my goodness. You're my friends. It's because I don't tell servants the way I feel. But I tell you how I feel. He's disclosing the reality of his heart to us. He allows us to touch mourning to bring us into intimacy. God must, he must redefine intimacy for us. He must. Or we won't want reality and intimacy. We'll want our vision of what intimacy is the one that makes me feel good momentarily. Does intimacy make you feel good? Absolutely. To know you're close to Christ, to know you're close to Jesus, to know you're being held by Him. There's moments when I've been in, in, in mourning and tears, and I go, just to help me, and I'll see Him holding me, I'll see His arms around me. It's better than that. Still in John 15, I'm about to land us. Look up a few verses at verse 9. You go, man, I, I still, I mean, it's precious, but how do I live mourning? What about the value of joy? What about the value of joy? And I promise, I believe this. Not I promise, but I believe this. I believe both realities are congruent. You can live fully in mourning and fully enjoy in this life. I don't see them as, you know, when I'm in joy, I'm on the mountain. When I'm in mourning, I'm in the valley. I'm seeing them as a congruent reality, and here's why. Joy, joy is not something that ebbs and flows based on circumstance. Joy does not ebb and flow based on circumstance. And I want to even say it this way because, you know, I, I've, been, I've heard and I've been told that joy is an operation of faith. I don't even believe it like that. I'll tell you, I believe joy is an operation of love. It's as a result of love. And Jesus spells it out for us right here in John 15. Verse 9. This is, John 15 verse 9. 
everybody needs to commit themselves at some time in their life to about three months of meditation on this verse. I mean, just, it should be like Christianity 101, first thing we give the new believer, John 15, 9, just think about that for the next three months. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Stay there. That's what he says. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. The way the Father feels about Jesus is the way that Jesus feels about us. He loves you. And he says in verse 10, he goes, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Again, if you're abandoned to me, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, just as I have been abandoned to him and abide in his love. Look at verse 11. These things... I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Joy in your heart, sustaining your soul, joy is as a product of the revelation of his love for you. He goes, I want you to know how I feel about you. I want you to know I am gushing over you. I am in love with you. I mean, the pinnacle of love, the way the Father feels in love, I feel all of that for you. Because I'm telling you this, so my joy, my very joy would be in you. And your joy would be maxed out. Your joy would be full. Joy in your heart is not subject to whether your checking account is full or empty. It's not subject to whether or not somebody cut you off or didn't cut you off on 85. It's not subject to whether that guy or that girl really likes you or really doesn't. Joy in your heart is a product of the revelation of love. If you know he loves you, joy will be brimming inside of you he goes I'm telling you this that I love you I love you I love you he goes oh I'm telling you this that you could be peeking out in joy because he knows that the foundation one of the foundational core values of his kingdom is mourning he doesn't want a bunch of mourning people who are depressed because they don't believe God loves them he wants a bunch of people who will mourn with him in fellowship as friends fully enjoy in their hearts because they know that one glance of their eye moves him. These things I've spoken to you that my joy would remain in you. The very joy that Jesus had on the earth. The most joyful man that ever lived. He goes, I want my joy in you. He goes, that will max you out. You and I have a capacity for joy. There's like our level of joy that we can handle and then we, something breaks. He goes, I want to max you out in joy. He goes, you want to know how I'm going to max you out? He goes, I love you. This is it, beloved. This is where we get to live. We get to live here. Friends, who know how he feels. Friends, 
full of joy. Friends alive in love. It's our path. It's our path. Think it not strange that you mourn and weep. The man Christ Jesus is ever living to make intercession right now. He's sharing with you the way he feels. Think it not strange that your heart is disgruntled, that your heart is discomforted. Think it not strange. You're fellowshipping. You're fellowshipping with him. Go ahead, let's stand. want to fellowship Jesus blessed are those who mourn you want to fellowship Jesus oh we want to fellowship Jesus Give grace, God, to the intercessors. Give grace, God, to those that would mourn and weep with you. Want a fellowship? Friend, come a little closer. Friend, draw a little nearer. That's what he's saying over you tonight. Because I want to share my heart with you want to share my heart with you, friend.